of you here. Uh, if you're listening online, uh, we're glad that you are taking some time with us as well. We know you're there. We'd love to see you sometime. But uh, if you're at home, we're glad that you're taking some time to, to put the word in, uh, in your heart. Now, either way, either way, uh, that, whether uh, you're here or um, listening online, we're in part three of a series that we started a couple weeks ago called Got Questions and uh, challenging people just to think about and ask the, the bigger questions in life rather than just, you know, the ones that, that hit us with the, in the everyday. And so this morning, I actually want to actually challenge you to take some notes because we're going to go through a bunch of different things. You're like, oh man, this feels like school. Um, I, I can tell you, you'll remember 75% more if you take some, uh, take some notes. And there's going to be a lot of things. And maybe there's going to be things like, ah, oh, I got I to gotta look that up again. Um, I wonder, what did, did he really say that? Well, you'll be able to hear it online. But the whole idea behind this series is this, uh, that Peter had encouraged the believers back then and today. If you're a follower of Christ, he said, always be ready. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, which means that there's probably going to be questions that come your way. Maybe you're going to initiate those questions, but that, that people, when they ask you, you have something to say when they're like, you know, you're a Christian. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I go to church. You know, uh, Jesus, like, do you really believe in him? Isn't he just like Santa Claus, just, you know, for, for Christians? And, and you're like, uh, come to my church. My pastor will tell you. It, it, God never designed it to run that way. He designed for you to be the salt and the light that's, that's out in the world. But he said, be prepared. Prepare ahead of time for what, what's uh, going to happen. Because you're going to get questions. We ask a lot of questions every single day. We get asked questions every single day, especially if you're a parent. And, and all of the questions matter, but they just matter for different amounts of time. You know, there's questions that you asked this morning that only matter for about an hour. Like, what am I going to have for breakfast? That only matters for about an hour because then you're going to be hungry again. Right? There's some of you that the question only matters for today. You're like, well, what should I wear? And then you chose it. And, you know, if it was good, good. If it was bad and people kind of looked at you funny with your, you know, whatever you wore today, it only matters for a day. You know, that's the, that's the long and short of it. For a year, certain questions only matter for a year. Like, you're like, did I miss our anniversary again? Oh, you know, it's like that question will be forgiven the following year when you make up for it, right? Though it only matters for a year. Some matter for a lifetime, like who should I marry? And some of you are like, why didn't I ask that question more seriously, <laughs> you know, a number of years ago? Because it matters for a lifetime. But then there's questions that matter forever. They matter for all of eternity, how we answer those questions. And so last week, we challenged you to answer the question, to ask yourself, to answer it for yourself, and to ask others this question, who do you say that Jesus is? Because it doesn't matter what I say, and it doesn't matter just what the Bible says. Jesus said to his followers then, you know, people will say, this is who I am, but who do you say that I am? Because it matters who you say that Jesus is, because this thing was meant to be um, personal. And last week, we just talked about some of the facts outside of the Bible, facts that uh, talk about Jesus living on this planet. We know that Jesus lived on this planet, but we know he didn't live a normal life. He walked around doing miraculous things. He was forgiving sins. He was telling people he was God. We, we said if anybody here did that, we'd be like handing them their medication, right? Because it's not normal. Um, but that was Jesus. And we also know that he didn't um, die a normal death. And we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want to challenge you to be able to ask and answer the question for yourself, why did Jesus die and why does that matter for me? Why did Jesus die and why does that matter for me? Um, Chinese proverb says this, a journey of a thousand miles must begin with a single step. And there's steps that, you know, we kind of need to take in order for us to answer the, the, that question of why did Jesus die and why does it matter 
uh, for me. I had real difficulty trying to prep for this message. I was like, how am I going to get all of this into like 30 minutes? It is like, and then I began to realize that the, the gospel writers took about a third of, of their writing to talk about the death of Jesus. The rest of the New Testament is trying to explain what the death of Jesus means for us as followers of Christ. And I saw that it's so, there's so much in the, in the New Testament about that. There's like, you could talk on this forever. Uh, and so I hope to talk about this this week and next week. So if, if some of the things aren't covered, we're going to try to answer those in the, in the coming weeks. But back in the day, there was this statement that all roads lead to Rome. Rome was the epicenter of, of, of civilization at that time, and they had all their roads that went out from the center of Rome, and so they knew that wherever those roads ended up, if you took one, you'd come back to Rome. Uh, and Jesus, in, even in that time period, he said something interesting that, that kind of, in, in that idea where people would realize, you know, all roads lead to Rome, he talked about the roads that lead to God. And he said, there, is, there isn't that many roads that lead to God. Actually, there's only one, and I'm it. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And in our culture, you know, with, with you know, being uh, Canadian where there's a freedom of religion and there's a freedom uh, to be in this country, for a lot of people, we're kind of in that spot of, well, we can be, you know, tolerant of what everyone else thinks. You know, if it's okay for them, then it's okay. And we'll have these thoughts where you share, you know, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm like, well, that's good for you, but, you know, I'd prefer to keep my spirituality in this and Jesus was saying that there really is no other option. It's not something that we say. It's something that he said, that he's the only way to the Father. No one gets to the Father. No one gets into eternity uh, with God without going through Jesus Christ. And Peter, you know, as I'm reading, as we study Acts here on Monday nights, just learning some incredible stuff. Peter, he gave the Jewish believers when, in the earliest, the very first sermon that Peter preached in the Bible was really simple. It was just a number of steps. He said to them, hey, you know what, Jesus, Jesus is God. And he says, you killed him, and then God raised him from the dead. We've seen him, now say you're sorry. That was like his sermon, and that's all he had to say, and 3,000 people got saved. I'm like, I would try that, but there's not 3,000 people here, you know? But, but that, that idea was just, it was, it was all about um, this, this death and resurrection of Jesus. And then you read in the next chapter, and it's the same thing. Peter and John went to the temple, and there was a lame man, and, and they said, you know, we don't have money for you, but we've got something better. We've got healing for you. And they grabbed him and pulled him to his feet. We had testimony of healing here this morning where, you know, it's like, it's like people look at that and go, well, that, that's not possible. And they're like, how did that happen? Because it brings about these questions. And guess what Peter and John said? They're like, this wasn't us. This was Jesus, the one you killed. Uh, and then God raised him from the dead. We've seen him alive. Now say you're sorry. And 2,000 more people were like, oh, you know, we didn't realize that it was that we were the ones who killed the Messiah. And for some of them, they would have said, it wasn't us that killed him. It was the Romans that killed Jesus. You know, why are you putting that on us? It's, it's not our fault. But instead, they knew, they knew that they had played a part in it. And then we see something really interesting that when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he writes to them and he says this to them about this, this message of Christianity. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters of the good news. The good news, the gospel, the message of Jesus. Let me remind you about what it is in its purest form. He said this, Christ died for our sins. These Corinthian people had never met Jesus. They weren't there when, when the Romans um, arrested him and put him on the cross. They, they had no part of it. And he says, you know what? He died for our sins, your sins, my sins. It's why Jesus 
died. It says, just as the scriptures said, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And then he says, and a whole bunch of us saw him. And you know what? We need to repent. We need to say, we're sorry. This, this, these steps on the way to faith. And for some of you, you're like, well, I learned that in Sunday school. And for, for some, it's like, yeah, these things sound really, really simple. But the challenge today is that there's people around you who are going to have these, um, these questions. I was talking with somebody last night who they're like, yeah, I was raised with it, but I realized the people I work with never were. They don't have any understanding of, of any of this stuff. You know, they, we celebrate Easter and we celebrate Christmas, but there's no understanding of why. And so I wanted to give you a few of those steps this morning so that when you have a chance to share with others, you share these steps, the same things that those guys shared, and allow Holy Spirit to do in people's hearts what he can do that may bring them to a place where they experience the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number, number one, step one, we all have sin. We all have sin. I, I, I mean, for some of you, you're like, that is not news to you. You like, if you knew my family, like, yeah, I believe it. Like that, you know, the people I live with, they're definitely sinners. And, and, and Romans chapter three said this, Paul said this to the Romans. He says, for everyone has sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. We, we don't love that word right in the middle there. You know that word sin? It's interesting because each and every person in this place was created in the image of God. You're so unique, and we're different. We're not just like modified apes, you know, that we've evolved a little bit further. I know some of you look around and think, you know, maybe that one was. But it's this, this, uh, this idea is that we've been created in the image of God. There's certain things about us that nothing else has. There's, there's the ability in, in us to be creative like our creator. You look at um, music and art and all of these things that are out of the creativity uh, that God has put in us. We're, um, we're body, soul, and spirit, three parts in one, just like God, three in one. And we have, you know, we were created in perfection, and yet that perfection's been lost. Something went wrong. Because inside of each and every one of us, we have this ability to do good, but we also, I don't know if you know this, you've got inside you this ability to do evil. Every single person has that. And that's what Paul's saying to the Romans is all have sinned. He puts this idea of all. Because when we think about it, we think about, you know, good people and evil people. If I had to tell you, think of a really good person. I just want to, what's, you know, the, the first person's uh, face that comes to your mind. That's a really good person. And then maybe you think of the other side. I want you to think of an evil person. Whatever you think might be the epitome of an evil person. We like to think in those terms. You know, it's not too hard to think that Hitler was evil and that Mother Teresa was good. We, wanna, we can look at that and maybe they're, you know, different people um, that are in your, in your family. This week I had the experience. Uh, I had a young guy who was texting me. He's telling me, you know, I'm super evil. Everybody tells me I'm evil. There's like, I think I'm Satan himself. I'm just waiting for my horns to grow in. And he's like, he's serious. And I'm like thinking he's joking, but he really thinks that he's so evil. And yet I hung out with him last week at a, at a party, uh, at a lunch um, thing. And, and I saw him, we were sitting there. I was like, hey, let's go up for soup. And he's like, no, 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 let everyone go first. And I'm like, you realize you have a little politeness in you. There's only one devil and you're not him. I've never had the chance to say that to anybody. It's always the other one. There's only one God and you're not him. There's only one devil and, and you're not him, right? And, and yet he thought, you know, there's just no good in me at all. And then on the other side, I had somebody this week say, you know, you're such a good person. You help so many people. I'm like, I'm just a guy. Like, no, you're selling yourself short. You really are a good person. I'm like, you might think that, but I know me. You know, I know that inside of even me, there's these, this, this evil that is 
um, possible, that we're capable of these evil things. And so we want to kind of categorize good people, evil people, and he wants to say simply, here's the line, good, and everyone ends up on this side. No matter where we want to classify it, he says the whole world ends up on this side. See, because sometimes you know people and you think, well, they're, they, they, they may even think they're too evil for God. They're just, they've got their past is too messed up for God. Sometimes you see people that think, you know, that they think they're too good for God. They've got, um, they've got their life together and everything's going well for them. He says all of them find themselves on this side, this idea that all of us have sin. And that word sin, we don't like that word. You know, we don't really use it all that often. I don't know when the last time you called into work late and like, oh, sorry, boss, I've sinned. I'll be 10 minutes late. You don't do that. You know, the police don't pull you over and be like, you are speeding. Here's a sin citation. They, they just don't do that, right? We don't use that word. We use a different word. We use the word mistake. You know, it's like it makes us feel better when we say, I made a mistake. You know, but the things that we look at in our life that we'd say are mistakes, there's certain ones of them that we can't really say are mistakes. You know the one that you do over and over and over, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, and then you do it again? You're like, oh, I'm sorry. And, 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 you know, there's people sometimes, you see it on the news, they get found out. You know, they had an affair for four years, and then it's broadcast on the news, and they're like, well, I made a mistake. A four-year mistake? You know, and some, for some, it's like this premeditated thing. You planned for the mistake that you were going to do, and then you did it, and then you get caught, and like, oh, it, it was a mistake. See, a mistake is kind of that, that word that makes us feel a little bit better, but we actually... Every one of us, and it's not just us, it's those around us. We know that there was things that were wrong. We knew they were wrong, and we still did them anyway. My son, Max, this spring, we had planted tulips, and, you know, I just want to say if you, uh, if you have children, you can't have nice things. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. We planted all these tulips, and told my, told my kids, those tulips, they're supposed to stay in the garden. And then one day, not maybe, the, not, it could be the same day, he walks in with a handful of them. He's like, Dad, I, I accidentally cut some of your flowers on purpose. I'm like, you... You can't do accidentally and on purpose in the same sentence. He's five, that little sinner. He knew. You know, he, he knew it. And yet, you know, we, we find ourselves in those places. And, and then we want to compare ourselves with everyone else to make sure that we're not as bad on the, the sin spectrum. But Romans chapter 3 just says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. It's, we've all fallen short of his standard. We love to set up standards for us against other people. And he says, that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus. How do you measure up compared to him? I'm not sure. And then there's this thing called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, which is, it's it's interesting because I hear it all the time from religious people that say, you know, the Ten Commandments, uh, you ask them, you know, are are you a good person? Are you a Christian? Well, I go to church and I keep the Ten Commandments. That's their thing. And they think, you know, that that's why the Ten Commandments were there so that we would be better people. That's not why God put the Ten Commandments in the, in, the, in the Bible, because there's people who will go to church, try and keep the Ten Commandments, and end up in hell and wonder why they're there. I know we don't talk about hell a lot. We will in the future. But this idea, this idea, this thought that we're just supposed to keep the Ten Commandments, that's why they're there. You know, God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel to simply separate them from the other nations around them, let them know, you're part of our fam- my family You're part of God's family, and here's some rules because you're part of my family. Every family has rules. But the Ten Commandments for us was simply to show in each and every one of us, just in case we thought we were good enough, that not one person ever measures up with uh, with God's standard, that every single one of us has broken at least one of them. 
So maybe you ask yourself this morning, you think, you, you know, for those who, around who you think they're good people, you ever ask them, you know, hey, do, have you ever stolen anything? Like even five cents? You know, even candy from your mom's purse as a child? Yeah. You know, have you ever, have you ever lied? You know, even told a little lie? Yeah. Have you ever had lustful thoughts? Nobody nods for that for some reason. <laughs> yeah. But it's like that thought of, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's realizing what he's done is this Ten Commandments is set up there to be this, this, uh, this idea that we've broken them. And it would be like this, picturing all of them on, and we shared it before, that if they were all written on a pane of glass, and I gave you a hammer and said, hey, just break one. Well, as soon as you break one, you break them all. And that's what, uh, that's what the, 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 the good news starts out with, is that every single one of us has broken the laws of God. Every single one of us has, has um, done something we knew was wrong and did it anyways. And it's not just a mistake, it's this thing called sin. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like good news. It gets worse. Sin, step two, step two is not only that, that all of sin, step two is that sin requires judgment. And you know what? It requires justice. And that's something that God put in us as well. I don't know about you, but you, you just hear, like, in people in general, is this idea of we want justice for things that have been done wrong. If you follow U.S. politics, you've just kind of recently heard about the, uh, the emails again, and now the FBI is involved again. And it's like, you know, we need justice for, those, for, the, for the corruption that's happening in, our gov- in, in the government. And we're like, it's interesting that, that they want justice. You know, he wants justice against uh, Hillary. And, and, but... We all have that when it comes to, you know, something happening to us. When somebody robs you. Have you ever been robbed? That's a terrible feeling. Uh, I mean, I remember years ago I shared this story that Beth and I went uh, uh, to a pastor's conference and I left my bag on a table with all those pastors and one of them was dirty. He stumbled, one of them stole the bag. Somebody stole the bag. I mean, there was hundreds of them there. Somebody stole the bag, took all of my money in our wallets. We had $500 in there. I don't know why, but it was in there. Took that, took my iPod, took my Bible, took everything, and then also took the key card for our hotel. Went to the hotel. We had forgotten to take it out of the little things. They knew exactly what room to go to. Watched some on the cameras as they went to our room with two empty garbage bags and came out with all of Beth's clothes and a few of mine, plus all of our stuff. They just ransacked our whole uh, hotel room. And, and, and you get that feeling. You walk in, you're like, oh, oh. And then you're like, I spent the next couple days just going over the footage on the cameras and checking the, the police cameras from the gas stations where these guys had been. and like seeing their faces as they look at the camera and smile as they walk out, just fully knowing they're going to get away with it. And there's that thing, I just want, I want justice because I've been wronged. And for maybe for you, it's not like it's been personal, but there's certain things that happen in our, in our culture that we just are like, that's just not right. You know, when you hear of children that are abused and children who go through these horrible things that happen to them, something on the inside is like, that's not right. You know, if they can catch those guys who do it, we hope that they're going to be prosecuted to the full uh, limits of the law. You know, for others, it's like ISIS. You know, you hear about what ISIS is doing overseas. and None of us think, ah, you know what, let them behead whoever they want to. If it's good for them, it's fine for me. We don't feel that way at all. We think, man, there's something wrong about that, and there should be justice. And every time that we think about justice, we want the judge to be good. We want there to be a good judge, because not all of them are. 
reading some stories of some of the most crooked judges to ever sit. And one of them, it was an interesting, interesting story. This guy named Mark Cirovelli or something like that. Uh, his name is protected for, uh, for just so, well, you can look it up. But anyways, this guy, he would have, he was called Mr. Zero Tolerance. And as teenagers were brought into his uh, courtroom, he would give them like uh, just harsh, harsh penalties. This 11-year-old boy took his mom's car for a drive down one block he ended up getting two years in a, in a, in a, a youth uh, detention center for doing that. And then the, there was a 15-year-old kid who was in school, and he's back talking to the substitute teacher, and he gave him two and a half years in this um, youth uh, uh, detention center. And these kids' lives were just destroyed. And later on, they found out that the detention center was paying him for every single kid that he sent there. He got kickbacks on 4,000 kids before they found out. And they realized, and there was this uproar, but you know what? 4,000 lives have now been affected and cannot be, you know, changed. That can't, you cannot take that back. And everybody's angry about these, these judges, these judges that take bribes, these judges that give light sentences. There was one where this woman was raped and, and, uh, and uh, was videotaped and everything else. And then the judge, you know, he gave the guy uh, um, just uh, eight months of home detention, he should have got six to 20 years, and for some reason, the judge let him off. And it was these things where we're like, there's something wrong about that. We want the judge to be good. Think about it for a second. If it was your mom, that somebody robbed your mom, you know, and, or did unspeakable things to her, would you not want the judge to be, like, good and say, listen, that guy's not getting away. He's getting the full extent of, of the law put against him. We want full punishment for them. See, we want the judge to be good when it's something's been done against us. But then when it comes to us, you know, when we get pulled over for speeding, we just really want the cop to be merciful. You know, I was on my way to church, officer. I'm actually the pastor there. I have to speak, you know, tonight. Uh, and he's like, oh, okay, well, then you know better, so see you later. That's never happened. But, uh, you, know, you know, when you get caught in a lie, you know, your spouse catches you in a lie, and you're like, oh, I hope she's going to be merciful. Or, or, you know, maybe it's your parents catch you in a lie. You, you know, snuck in in the middle of the night, and they're, like, waiting up for you. And they're like, they want to know what's been going on. You're like, oh, you know, I hope they're going to be merciful. And you hear this statement sometimes, this question, where people think, you know, how could a good God possibly send people to hell? How is it possible that a good God could send people to hell? I can't believe in a God like that. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said to them, he says, you know what, you may think you can condemn such people. We, when we think about others, we want them to be condemned. He says, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. See, we can't have it both ways. We can't have it that we get justice for us and then mercy for us when we're on the when we're on trial. And so, you know, when we realize that we've got sin and sin deserves God's righteous justice and judgment, what do you think the penalty for that should be? You know, what do you think the penalty should be for that little lie, for that, for that little things that we've done? And I'll tell you what you think it is. You think it's community service. It's like, you know what? I've wronged, but, but I will do good things to make up for those bad things. It's the first thing that comes in our minds, like, I'll, I'll go to church I'll give to charity. I'll pray. I'll help somebody. I'll do something to, I'll show up on Sunday morning and sit for an hour listening to some guy because maybe that's going to get me in good with God. And he's saying, listen, it's, it's different than that. See, the problem is the defendant doesn't get to decide what the penalty is. 
I've tried that with my kids. You know, the one day I sat with my kids, one of them, had, and it was Max, of course, had done something that uh, he shouldn't have. And so we sat down in the room. And we're trying to figure out ways to motivate him to do the right thing from his heart. And so, but I asked him, I said, you know what, what kind of punishment would you like today? Would you like, you know, a week without screens, which is, you know, almost like the end of the world for them? Or would you like a pinch? And he sits there and he looks at me, thinks about the two, and he says, how about you make me eat a whole pack of gum? Like, you don't get to pick the punishment. Now you get bold, right? It's like, like, if we pick the punishment, we pick it to be so much lighter. The thing is that with God, the punishment and penalty has already been set. The penalty for sin has already been set. And step three is this, that the penalty is death. Romans chapter 6, he wrote to them in verse 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. And we like ask the question, I don't know about you, but I sure do, and others around me do, isn't that a little bit harsh? You know, we, we underestimate the gravity of our crime. We think things were just mistakes when it comes to that. Have you ever heard of a white lie? <laughs> what is it? It's a lie, right? Have you ever borrowed something from work and never returned it? What do they call that? Stealing, yes, you know, it's like we think it's, we can find ways to make it sound much more justifiable. I remember Ray Comfort sharing this illustration. He said, picture this, if you're driving a car and you're speeding, and now even if you're under 16 here, uh, just picture yourself, it's doubly wrong now because, you know, you're breaking the law by even driving, but just picture, you're driving 100 kilometers an hour in an 80, and you see the sign, you're like, it's an 80, and you're like, you know what, I, I'm, you're driving, you think, I'm going 20 over, I hope I don't get caught, and then you do get caught. The lights go on behind you, pulls you over. Officer walks on up to the window and looks in. He's like, you know how fast you're going? You're like, you know. You're like, yeah, yeah, I was going 20 over. He's like, no, you're not. You're like, what do you mean? I know, I was going 100 in an 80. And he says, no. He says, well, you don't realize? He's like, this town that you're in, it doesn't matter how many times you've been here, but right now they're hosting a convention for the blind. All the speed limits have been set down to 30 kilometers an hour. And you were probably texting when you went by that sign that said that. And that's why you don't know and didn't see. And you realize now that you've sped through town. And what you also didn't see is you almost ran someone over on your way into here. And that's why I pulled you over in the first place. And now you begin to sit there. You begin thinking, wait a second. And he says, it wasn't 20 over. You're actually going 70 over. He says, you know what? For this, for this especially because of this, uh, this convention and, and what's been happening, you're going to be charged with stunt driving, texting while driving, going 70 over the limit, careless driving, endangering lives. And so your vehicle is going to be impounded, your license revoked, $100,000 fine and minimum five months in jail. And you sit there and you look at it. Picture, this is you, remember? That feeling of like, I don't know about you, but I can't pay a $100,000 fine today. You know, you have this thought of like, wait a second, this is like, how is this possible? And see, for us, we think that this, these little mistakes in our lives and those around us who have mistakes in their lives, that they're just little things. When Adam and Eve chose originally to commit that very first sin, it was like, oh, they just ate from an apple. It was bigger than that. See, it was much, what we don't realize is that that day they became traitors. You know, we think of, you know, watch the war movies. What do they do to a traitor? What do they do to somebody who was, who was selling lies or selling secrets to the enemy? Yeah, it's the death penalty. You know, this idea of, a, of being a traitor, is we, don't, we don't think about that, but a traitor is like the worst possible thing. You know, when all of a sudden the Leaf fans start cheering for the Habs, you know, that's a, that's a horrible thing. Yeah, uh, but, but it gets worse than that. You know, if you've been betrayed by a friend, it's, it hurts. You know, if you've ever been cheated on by your spouse or know somebody who's been in that situation, there's nothing worse than that. 
than this traitor. And it's this idea of we, we, we not only were born in sin, we willingly sided with the enemy. We went against God and willingly chose to become traitors. And so when we think it's just a mistake, he says it's bigger than that. It's, it's a traitor, and a traitor is, uh, deserves the death penalty. When he says it's the wages of sin, it's what you earned and what you deserve is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death as well, eternal death. That's what we deserve for sin. And a lot of times we don't think about that. We don't often talk about that. But the, this morning, you know, you're like, this doesn't feel like good news at all. I like come here to get picked up, Mark, and you're depressing me big time. See, the thing is, good news doesn't sound good until you know where you are. It's like being in the bottom of a hole, and you've dug yourself so deep that you cannot get out on your own. Because for those who say they make mistakes, they'll try and fix it themselves and never realize that what they actually need is a Savior, that they need Jesus. And for some, they don't, they don't realize that they need him, but we've never asked them the questions, and we've never told them that the place that they're in isn't where they think they are. The wages of sin is death, it says. And Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. What we earned and what we deserved is death, but he says the free gift, that which we did not deserve, that which we did not earn, it's exactly what we would hope would happen if it was us in that hole. He says there's a gift of God. It's free to you. It's the eternal um, uh, gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus that someone would pay our fine. And we see the incredible love of God in this. See, it's like if you were on trial after you'd gone through that speeding thing and now you're standing before the judge and he says, okay, this is what's been prosecuted against you and I judge that you are guilty on all counts. Pay the fine, spend the time in jail until that fine is paid. You're like, it was just a mistake. It was just a little thing. He's like, no, that's what it is. And then as the gavel falls and he drops it and your, your, your um, verdict has been set, then for that judge to step up and say, okay, wait one second, take off his judge's robe, walk down to where you're standing and say, listen, that's the punishment, but now I'm going to pay for it. Puts the cuffs on himself and, wanders, and goes off to prison in your place. See, that's what God did for each and every one of us. That's what he's done for the people around us. It's incredible. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 9 says this, when we were utterly helpless... When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. See those words, we, us, you, me. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us. See, you're loved by God. The good news is you're loved no matter even if you were in that helpless spot. He says he showed his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners not making mistakes, when we were traitors, when we were in that spot of everything being against him, that's when he sent his son. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation because the penalty is death. But step four is this, the price has been paid. The price has already been paid. See, and for some of us, we've heard this so many times, we don't realize how amazing that is. See, the original hearers, when they heard this, the Jewish people who heard this originally, they would have thought, we've already got a plan for sin. We already have a plan for paying for sin. And this is it. Like they knew God had designed this temporary plan for them in the Old Testament. Every year they were to sacrifice a lamb. And I found this awesome lamb. He's even happy, you know, a smiling lamb. Every year, every family would take one of these little lambs when they were born. They would go through the whole flock and find the most 
perfect lamb, the one that had no blemishes, nothing wrong with it, the one that would smile. And they would say, this is the one we're taking into our home. We'll name him Lammy or whatever we will. And he'd live in their, live in their home with them. The kids would become attached to this thing. And it doesn't take much for, the, for kids to become attached to pets. Um, we raised quail this year, and we're, now it's the time where we're selling them, you know, and so people are buying them to, to eat them or whatever. And, and as we're selling them, the kids are helping put them in the box. What's the question they ask? Dad, are they going to a good home? And I look, and I'm like... That belly's a good home, right? That's that question. They're like, Dad, is it going to a good home? Can you picture that? Those kids with little Lammy saying, Dad, is Lammy gonna be is Lammy gonna be okay this year? And the father, every time I have to say, No, son. No, my you know, no kids, this lamb is gonna die tomorrow in the temple. He's going to be offered as a sacrifice. Why? Because we've sinned. We've wronged God, but we need something to cover that. And every year, Lammy, whatever you call this Lammy, that blood is going to cover that sin. But it never washed it away. It never took away their sin. It just covered it for a year. And then there's something so, so powerful. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist was baptizing people. And as he was doing that, he was waiting to the day where he would recognize Jesus. And it says this, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but this is a powerful thought. He says, the Lamb of God who takes away. You know what that word takes away is? That word takes away is not covers. That word is not reminds you of. It's this idea of it lifts it up off of you, lifts up guilt, lifts up shame, lifts it all up off of you and carries it away permanently. For those, I know so many followers of Jesus, so many people who call Christians who walk around with guilt and shame and they feel like God's always picking out their, their, um, the bad things, the times they've got it wrong. We're going to talk about that more next week. He says he lifts it up. But guess what? He's lifting up our sins. When he died on the cross, and um, Peter wrote to them and said he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. It says the death that he died, he died once and for all. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 10, he never has to die again. That was so powerful what he did all those years ago. Is he took all of my sin, everything I've ever done up until this point, even the stuff I did this morning. He took that 2,000 years ago. He took all of yours as well. And the powerful thing is he took everything that we're going to do yet as well. It is complete, completely done. He died once and for all. And the last question is this, probably the most important. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you really, really believe it? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 said this. If you, if you, if you and me, if we openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from eternity without him. You'll be saved from this uh, 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 eternal death, this, this place called hell that Jesus talked about. He said this, it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. And it says this awesome thing, because for some of you, you're like, I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I deserve it. He says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're, this is answering questions for you. And you're like, I didn't realize it was this. I thought I'd just go to church, but I've wronged God and I need a savior. The good news is you have one. And it says everyone who calls on his name will be saved. For some of you are like, well, how does it work? How does that work? How? And this is the one I get asked a lot. How does something that happened 2,000 years ago take away my sins today? That just that does, makes no sense. How does that work? C.S. Lewis said it this way, which was interesting. He says, just because you don't understand how it works doesn't mean that it doesn't work. 
Just because we don't understand how it works, that the death of Jesus all those years ago washes away my sin completely, doesn't mean that it doesn't work. And he said this, he says, take a look at food. For instance, food, we've, I know now you're like, oh, lunchtime. This idea of thinking about food, you know, for all of, all of time, men have eaten food and they've felt nourished by it and strengthened by it and they continue to eat food not knowing exactly how it's, it's nourishing them. Then now as we've gotten to modern times, we realize that, that food is made up of vitamins and minerals and it's those things that are actually nourishing our bodies and giving us the strength. That's what it is in food. But guess what? Even when people didn't know it was vitamins and minerals, it still worked. And the same thing is true, that even though you may not totally understand how it works, that it can wash away your sin, it still works. And it says if you put your trust in that, it'll work for you. So my question this morning is, so what do you believe? What do you believe, Kingsway? What do you believe, individuals in this place? Did Jesus simply die like every other person died? Or did he die for you? Did he just simply die or did he die for you? Did, and maybe for those around you, It's going to be this question that you ask them. Do you believe that Jesus just died like every other person? Or did he die for you? What will your response be? What will your response be? And for those of you who are followers of Christ, and we think about this amazing, amazing thing, I want to leave you with one last story. On October 8th in 1940, in the Auschwitz concentration camp, on that day, October 8th, A number of uh, prisoners had tried to escape. They believed that three of them did escape. And because of that, the the head of the camp called out the roll and and chose 10 numbers off the roll call to come and pay for that, pay for the, um, and make a a statement of, uh, to the rest of the, uh, the prisoners there not to try and escape. And so he took 10 numbers and he called them out and said, we're putting you in a starvation bunker where you're just gonna starve to death so that nobody else tries to escape. There's a guy named Francis Sek, Gavinichek. I think that's how you pronounce his name. You can see it. I tried my best. So Frank, Frank Gavinichek, he was chosen. And as he was the number, his number was called. He's like, my wife and my children. My wife and my children. And as he said those words, those words affected another man, a little man named um, Maximilian Colby. He stepped forward at that moment. His number hadn't been called, but he said, I'm a Catholic priest. I have no wife and I have no children. I would like to die in his place. And they looked at him and wondered, how is this possible? But they said, fine, you can die in his place. So Maximilian Colby went into that starvation bunker with nine other men. They said as they looked through the doors of that bunker, they couldn't believe it. It looked like church in there, they said. These men were praying. They were uplifted in spirit as they just waited for their bodies to give out. And all nine of those men, their bodies gave out and they starved to death, but not Max. Maximilian Colby was still alive when they realized we, we need this bunker for something else. And so they gave him a lethal injection of carbolic acid to, to kill him. Gavin Ichek survived the Auschwitz concentration camp and for the rest of his life went everywhere that he could. And he told the story of Maximilian Colby, this man who had given his life in my place. All over he went till finally in 19. 19- um, I believe 1990s, they had this ceremony to honor Maximilian Colby for his sacrifice because so many people had finally heard. Hundreds of thousands of people came to the place where Maximilian Colby was honored for his sacrifice that he had made. In 1994, Gavin Echek said this, As long as I have breath in my lungs, I will consider it my duty to tell people of the heroic act of love by Max Colby. 
I will consider it my duty to tell everyone around the world, as long as there's breath in my lungs, of the loving sacrifice of Maximilian Kolbe. He did that up till the age of 93 when he passed away. Powerful thought, but how much more powerful to think that that's happened for each and every single one of us, that a man gave his life in our place, that a man paid an ultimate punishment, much greater than that for each and every single one of us, and he's done that for everyone else. That is a message that needs to be shared. That is a message that our world needs to hear. They don't even realize they need it, but we've shared a little bit about that this morning. But as followers of Jesus Christ, the fact that a man has given his life for us, do we really believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus died for you? And it's not this idea of, well, now run out and go door to door and knock on people's, you know, let's, let's all go to Balmoral and knock on every door and tell them Jesus died for them. But how many times in our life don't we have those conversations where it's like you can just feel that God's prompting you for a little bit more, to share a little bit more. I want to challenge you in those times when people ask those questions that not just what you share, the hope that you have, but the hope that's there for them, that a man died in their place and they can be forgiven. Here's the last thought, 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross, it says, is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. They don't understand it. It doesn't make sense, this whole message of the cross. But for we who are being saved, we know that it's the very power of God. And I love that because if you just read the yellow, it says this, the message of the cross, it is the very power of God. That message of what Jesus did on the cross needs to be shared out there. And that's all you have to do. As you share the truth, you know, it in itself is the power of God to salvation. Who needs to hear it around you? Maybe for you this morning, the challenge is this. Would you just answer the question for you? Do I believe that Jesus died? Do I believe that he died for me? And do I believe that he died for the world? Because that message needs to be shared. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, it's powerful, it's inspiring, it's challenging, it's encouraging, it's humbling. But I'm so glad we have it. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross for us. Thank you that it was for each and every person in this place. And for those of, in this place that are wrestling with that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just cause them to realize that it was for them that Jesus died, that they might respond. And Father, I pray too, that as we go out from this place, that as opportunities come across our path, that conversations with people, that now as we learn and know what to say, would you speak through us? Would you draw on people's hearts that they might come and know you in a very real way? Jesus, thank you for salvation. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. It's because of you that we're here this morning to honor you and to live our lives with you as master, to live our lives for you and with you and for your glory. Thank you for the opportunity to do that with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.